0: Hi and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into Battle of the Sexes and Feminism in Film in today's review episode. I can show you the world Just take a look through my eyes First up, uh, review for Battle of the Sexes, and then kind of going to use that to transition into a more general talk about feminism in movies today. And I've... Uh, so, Battle of the Sexes, as far as uh, aggregate sites are concerned, is, uh, is doing fairly well, I would say. You know, it's got a 3.4 average rating on Letterboxd, it's got and Battle of the Sexes. It has an 85% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, and it has a 73 on Metascore, and a 6.7 on IMDb. So it's literally a positively reviewed film across the board, across the board, and it has its detractors. I understand that, but it does have an, overwhelmingly, an overwhelming support from the people who've seen it. And I completely get that. Like, I, I like a lot of the movie. I think Emma Stone's pretty great in it. Uh, I think uh, Steve Carell is good in it. I think Andrea Riseborough is good in it. Like, Sarah Silverman. Uh, Alan Cumming was fun in this movie. And for what it's worth, you know, the movie does present a lot of interesting and, and important points. It's making a lot of strong arguments. For a lot of good things, it has, uh, you know, I'm a, I am played tennis in high school, I've played ten, a lot of tennis in my life, and the parts of the movie that do focus on the tennis element of the story, I thought were well done. Uh, they're clearly not, I mean, they're clearly, the, the camera's so far away from the court that, you know, who knows who's actually playing tennis instead of Steve Carell and Emma Stone. Or they might be playing themselves. I'm not sure. I haven't looked it up, but that part looks good. Uh, You know, I'm as someone who played tennis, I appreciated that. And you know, I'm reading through the reviews here on Letterboxd, and there's a lot of people who just kind of are address the fact that a lot of critics have been very lukewarm on the film. You know, I don't think anyone like hates this movie. But I think there are a lot of people, and I'm going to include myself in that group, that are kind of lukewarm on this film. Um, Someone on Letterboxd, uh, Allison M, says, I'm finding that most people that didn't like the film are men. Yes, it pokes fun at the chauvinistic attitudes that people held in the 1970s. You don't like the film? Try being a woman in the 70s and having to be better than men to get noticed. Women's pay was lower and they were harassed all the time. You're right, it doesn't sound fun uh, the film, and, like, those are all very salient points. I I don't disagree with any of that stuff. I, I don't think, you know, I don't, for a moment, suppose that, like, women had it easier than men. Obviously, I think the pay gap is, is ridiculous and shouldn't exist whatsoever. I think that there are a lot of great elements to this movie that address those exact issues. You know, there's the scenes between uh, Billie Jean King and whoever Bill Pullman plays. Uh, What's the name of his character? Jack Kramer. The scenes between Billie Jean King and Jack Kramer are great, and the dialogues between the two of them fully encompass exactly the mindsets that happened to be going on at the time. The sort of battered feeling that women felt and were trying to get out of and overcome over being diminished and treated unfairly you know is is replicated by Billie Jean King and the way that she you know consistently tells uh, Jack Kramer just you know look you have you're you know I get she she tells him straight up at one point in the movie and look Bobby Riggs is a jerk but like this is all a show for him whereas Jack Kramer you Believe this stuff. You think that women don't deserve as much as men. You think that they're inferior. You constantly reinforce this idea that men deserve more, are better, will always be better. And those moments are great. And then outside of those moments, you have this burgeoning relationship between Billie Jean King and Marilyn Barnett, played by Andrea Riseborough, who is uh, a hairdresser that we meet early in the movie. And there's some great uh, falling-in-love moments and romantic scenes between the two of them. We get to see just this entire group of women's tennis players go out on their own and create their own league of, you know, this their own professional tennis league. And do things their way their own way and and succeed. They're succeeding at this. They have a sponsor, they're making a lot of money. Uh it's never explicitly stated whether or not their new funds are being are earning as much as their male counterparts at that point in the movie, but they seem to be very happy with the amount of money that is on is up for grabs. So in theory they're doing better than they were before, and that's a big point of uh, improvement and that's great for them I'm glad that's something that we needed to see something that make that's very important the movie itself though I find safe and I think it's safe because it spends a lot of time being pulled in different directions so yes the movie is marketed as this battle of the sexes between Emma Stone and Steve Carell, which it is, but not the whole movie. There's an entire tennis match between Steve Carell and a different female previously in the movie. There is a lot of time devoted to Emma Stone and her relationship with Andrew Riseborough. There's a lot of time devoted to Steve Carell and his relationship with Elizabeth Shue. There's a lot of time devoted to Steve Carell's relationship with son to Emma Stone's Uh, relationship with her husband and to the women's league independently of everything else. So this movie spreads itself incredibly thin across all these different ideas and it never sort of conglomerates them all back together at the end. It doesn't try to show how any of them really influence the others and you know at best it uses the quote-unquote battle of the sexes, to force her and her husband to be in the same room together and kind of draw drama from that situation with Andrew Riseborough's character and her relationship with Billie Jean King. So I had a lot of issues with the film's presentation and, and sort of safe and thin examination of all these different things. And now I don't think that the movie had to be some dark and dour drama. It can certainly be lively. You know, Bobby Riggs, in and of himself, was a very lively and entertaining character. And I think that any sort of greater focus on the match itself would have lent itself to a lighter tone. But there's so much happening here. It's difficult to say that you can just you can't just eliminate the Andrew riseberg character. That's impossible. You can't take away the marriage. You could in theory like remove any of the inner conflicts of Bobby Riggs's family like I don't think that really made any I don't know I just I don't think that these elements really added enough to the movie to warrant how much screen time they got because it was taking away from things that were more important and things that could have delved even deeper into this core issue and I think that the movie as it's presented is almost like a celebration in women's lib, women's liberation. And that's fantastic. Like I wish it was more so uh, because for me, I thought and felt like the movie is being presented as a celebration of feminism of women and their, abilities to have overcome all these terrible things but i think that the the, different, the 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 port the point where i'm not exactly on board with that exact presentation is that i don't think this movie does a great job of celebrating and i don't think that there's a significant enough achievement as presented in the movie for the celebration itself. You know, I don't, I don't know. I just, I I think the movie itself just doesn't exactly glom on to the success and, and fallout success that this tennis match led to. And maybe that's simply by putting the match earlier in the movie, and adding another sort of um, wrapper at the end of it. I don't know what that would have looked like. And I think that you know, I think we needed, you know, it it was there's some there's some absolutely great moments in this movie. The end of the tennis match where Bobby Riggs and and uh, Billie Jean King sort of acknowledge. What that what they just did, and, and he sort of extends his hand and he shakes their her hand. That's great. That's an, an incredible moment. And you know, seeing Billie Jean King hold up that trophy is is great. And we need that. And I think that this is a very this movie has a very positive message. But like I said, I think it seems to be more of a it seems to try to to sort of encapsulate something that it feels is finished rather than be a reminder that we still have to work more at this. That's just the in sort of the, the feeling I got from this movie. And like a lot of people are saying online, you know, most of the people that didn't fall in love with this movie are men. And I you know, I, I wish I could fall in love with this movie. I was really excited to see it, but I was left feeling a little wanting by, by that sort of thing. And uh, I, I really I can't do much about that at this point. But I wanted to also talk about feminism more generally, and sort of related to this movie, but uh, as well as in film in a broader sense. And I think that there are a lot of, I don't know, like any kind of, like if you look at feminism and racism and prejudice and uh, just all these sort of terrible uh, one-sided discriminatory ideas and things that are happening in the world, not just here, not just in America, not just in the north of America, not just in this country or this city or wherever you are, Uh, there are, like, none of these things get solved overnight. None of them, no one waves a wand and fixes racism in a minute. It, It just can't happen. And for feminism, you know, this movie took place in 1973, And today there is still uh, a wage gap between men and women. It is still, you know, it's most uh, places and ideas and things are dominated by men. You know, if you look at politics, you know, that's a pretty prime example of this system failing uh, and I think that, on the whole, you know, while things have gotten better, they are far, far from perfection. Obviously, no one's, you know, and maybe they never will be perfect. I don't know that anything can ever be perfect. Uh, you know, it's been a long time coming, and and you know, the problem is, the other problem is that there's. All of these different elements. So you know, we still have religious persecution and um, violence against black people, but by the police and you know terrorism and LGBTQ uh, violence and all this stuff. That while you know this, there's there's all these issues are in and of themselves very very important to the equality of human beings. There's just, you know, the, the 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 bodies in charge of legalizing equality, which sounds absurd, but the people in charge of that aren't capable of making those changes quickly, and the fact that there are that many different things and inequalities out there that can't exactly be balanced at the same time means that everyone suffers and everyone, it takes even lo- that much longer for everyone to get to the point where they need to be and deserve to be. So acknowledging that there are all those other things that have to be de- dealt with at the same time, feminism is really the only one I really want to talk about in this episode because I don't have 12 hours really to go into details about racism and religious prejudice and that kind of stuff too. So feminism, specifically in movies. And I want to talk about this from a vantage point of the data that I've kept. So while on the one hand, it's very easy for me to look at movies today and see that, you know, if you look at it, the only female character or the only female child in that movie is the one used as the damsel in distress. You know, like that's that's a pretty straightforward example of how there's not exactly great representation for women in movies. But there has been times where women have had fantastic representation in movies. It's just they don't have any sort of legacy the way that men do. And I think that my statistics kind of bear that out in a sense. And I'm gonna start with actors, because I think acting is the most equal of the three fields I'm gonna discuss. So I'm gonna talk about acting and writing and directing. And I think acting is the closest to equal fields that there could be. Uh, So looking at my spreadsheet, and if you've listened to my top 10 March born, August, April, whatever, month born actor lists in the past, There hasn't been a single month that's been uh, 10 males, but uh, there hasn't been a single month that has been more women than men. Every month has had, I think save one month, uh, there has been more males than women on those top 10 lists. And looking at the overall rankings on my spreadsheet, uh, 6 of the top 10 are men, and moving down even further... Uh, four five six seven eight nine ten eleven of the top 50 uh, are women so only 11 women in the top 50 and of those eleven women one two uh, only two of them oh i thought more only two of them have passed away so they aren't even making more movies uh another one is strictly a voice actor and uh uh, one of them is has only made four movies that I've seen to date, and it's 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 simply the fact is that women have you know there are some incredible incredible actresses out there today. You know you look at Cate Blanchett and Meryl Streep who are amazing. You know. You've got Jodie Foster and Hilary Swank who both won two Academy Awards in their careers. Uh, You've got Tilda Swinton, Emma Thompson, uh, Holly Hunter, Frances McDormand, Judi Dench, Vanessa Redgrave, Marissa Tomei, Brie Larson, Anna Paquin. These are all Oscar winning uh, actresses who are still alive and still making movies. Julianne Moore, Natalie Portman, Gwyneth Paltrow, Jennifer Lawrence, Lupita Nyong'o, Um, Kathy Baker, Marianne Cotelard, uh, Mercedes Rule, Julie Andrews, uh, Diane Keaton, Louise Fletcher, Helen Hunt, Juliette Binoche, Viola Davis, Emma Stone, Nicole Kidman, Mira Sorvino, Margaret O'Brien, who I think got an honorary... Oh wait, or did I just messed that up. I think no, I think I didn't think that. So. Margaret O'Brien, Octavia Spencer, like all these women, are great. Like I, I don't, I don't disagree with that whatsoever. They're fantastic actors, and it's it's truly fan, amazing to watch them work. You know, even Meryl Streep, who I'm kind of lukewarm on on as a whole. I completely respect the fact that she has put in some of the most amazing performances uh, by anyone ever. It's it's truly astounding. And for the record, the person with the most acting awards ever is a woman. And that's Katherine Hepburn with four. Now, uh, now, Jack Nicholson and Daniel Day-Lewis both have three. And no one else besides the three of those, those three has had three, I think. Um, But the person with the most nominations is Meryl Streep with 20, also a one. So, you know, a lot of these records, all these acting award records are held by women. And at first glance, you would say, oh, that's amazing. Like, look how recognized they are. Look how much we've awarded them. But I think somewhere under the surface, you look at that and say, well, wait a second, it's amazing that they have all these nominations, but I think the problem is there that that means that there aren't as many options. So, you know, you don't see, you see that high volume from a couple of specific people, but that means that there's less variety. And in turn, also means that there's less variance in the nominees for these Awards. You know, the two most nominated actors on my spreadsheet are Meryl Streep and Catherine Hepburn. You know, Kate Blanchett's been nominated seven times. Betty Davis and Kate Winslet, I have six nominations for each of them right now. Audrey Hepburn and Judy Dench and Amy Adams have five on my spreadsheet. I'm sure I know I'm missing a couple from some people and and I'm working toward remedying that. But for now, it's, uh, it's a little lopsided, I think. And uh, the further down the list you go, while there have been the exact same number of, I think, hmm, something to check out. I think there have been the exact same number of nominations between men and women on the whole. But if you've, if you, you know, this is something that's come up, and I've heard this on other podcasts in the past. If you look at movies that have won these best actress, best. Uh, actor awards, very few of them. Uh, let's see, there are five best actress winners that I've seen. In which, or well, hold on, two statistics. There are 23 films that have won Best Actress and nothing else on my spreadsheet. Five of them, it was the only thing they were nominated for. For the men, Uh, There are only ten films that have won Best Actor and nothing else, and only one in which that was the only film, or that was the only award it was nominated for, and that's a staggering difference. And again, obviously, I have not seen every single Best Actor winning performance, uh, only most of them, and and the same goes for women. But uh, it's tough to. It sucks that so many films and so many female performances are in these movies that don't get any other recognition. And looking at uh, this, the this the way this works here, uh, one film has been nominated for best actress. Tw- one, two, three films, four films have been nominated for two best actress performances, whereas. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight films have been nominated for multiple best actor performances. Moving on to the supporting categories, uh, there are. Let me see if I can sort this appropriately. Nope, not like that. There are. Da, 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 14 films in which they only won for best supporting actress or for best supporting actor two of them it was the only nomination uh on the other hand oh and i may have messed up these statistics a little bit i'll have to go back and double check uh on the other hand there are 17 films in which they only won for supporting actress and only two only two in which that was the only nominated Supporting Actors, Supporting Actress, a little bit of a closer comparison. But, you know, on the whole, it turns out that a lot of films that win Best Actress are its the only thing that they win for, or the only thing that they're nominated for. And that's kind of crazy. You know, the things that, uh, those particular films, Still Alice for Julianne Moore, uh, Monster, Charlize Theron. Misery for Kathy Bates, uh, The Accused for Jodie Foster, and Morning Glory for Katherine Hepburn. And, you know, I think that those are five great performances by all of these women, but, uh, you know, I think that it shows that you have to really look. Or that at least the academy is forced uh, has to like really look for these movies that aren't widely, you know, these aren't big movies. These aren't uh, movies that are going to get your best picture nominations, your best director and writing nominations as well. And with the men, they are. And I think that that's an issue. Like that's something that needs to be addressed and analyzed and looked at better than I can you know, far more than, you know, someone needs to go into the voting, the voting itself and look at what is causing these sort of differences and why aren't, and, you know, it all starts with the casting process and the writing processes and why aren't women getting more of these roles? Why aren't these bigger movies with, you know, where's the, you know, we've got 12 angry men. Why aren't there movies that are giving that many great roles to women? You know, I'm not saying make a 12 Angry Women movie, but, you know, find a movie that can star half a dozen women in fantastic roles without it being, you know, like a a female Ghostbusters or a female Ocean's Eleven. Not that I'm not excited for those movies. I just don't think that's where we need to look for, you know, those sorts of performances. It shouldn't have to be, at least. It shouldn't have to be. So, speaking of writing, if you look at the right, my writing spreadsheet page, there are three women in the top 50, 60, in the top 60. The top 18 are all men. So, the nineteenth, the highest woman is Kim Krizan, who has two writing credits for Before Sunrise and Before Sunset. Uh, at 23rd, you have Rita Hisau who is, I'm probably pronouncing it wrong, who has writing credits for Mulan and Toy Story 2. And then at 31st, you have J.K. Rowling, who has written all the Harry Potter movies, as well as Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, or at least has writing credits on those. So three women in the top 60. Then, looking for Academy Award nominations, uh, Ruth Prower javlava I think, has three nominations and two wins. Uh, That's the most for a woman uh, with winning for A Room with a View and Howard's End and nominated for The Remains of a Day. She's ranked 102nd. Uh, You've got Julie Delpy nominated twice for Before Sunset and Before Midnight. Fran Walsh nominated twice for Fellowship and Return of the King. Philippa Boyanz also nominated twice for Fellowship and Return of the King. Kim Krizan nominated once for Before Sunset. Irma Von Cube nominated once for Johnny Belinda. Lucy Alibar nominated once for Beast of the Southern Wild. Anne Rossellini and Deborah Granick nominated once for Winter's Bone. Nancy Oliver nominated once for Lars and the Real Girl. Emma Donahue nominated once for Room. Jane Campion nominated once and winning for The Piano. Diana Osana nominated and winning for Brokeback Mountain. Sarah Polly, nominated for Away From Her. Iris Yamashita, nominated for Letters from Iwo Jima. Melissa Wallach, nominated for Dallas Buyers Club. Callie Kuri nominated and winning for Thelma Louise. Uh, gonna keep going down the list here, because it's really not that many people. Betty Comden, nominated for The Bandwagon. Pamela Wallace, nominated and winning for Witness. Diablo Cody, nominated and winning for Juno. Kristen Sheridan and Naomi Sheridan, nominated for In America. Bridget O'Connor, nominated for Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Emma Thompson, nominated and winning for Sense and Sensibility. Meg LaFoe Lefau, LeFoev, LeFoev, nominated for Inside Out. Jan Pinkava, nominated for Ratatouille. Lisa Cholodenko and Ann Spielberg, nominated for The Kids Are All Right and Big, respectively. Adrian Joyce nominated for Five Easy Pieces. Terry Tatchell nominated for District Nine. Hillary Hankin, nominated for Wag the Dog. Nia Vardalos, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, nominated. Susanna Grant, Aaron Brockovich, nominated. Tamara Jenkins, The Savages, nominated. Joan Harrison, Rebecca, nominated. Hu Ling Wang, nominated for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Marguerite Duras, nominated for Hiroshima Mon Amour. Kristen Wiig, nominated for Bridesmaids. Courtney Hunt, nominated for Frozen River. How close are we? And there's another, I don't know, 15 to 20 women also nominated, further down the list. So, feels like a lot of names, but for every woman I just named, there are at least five, probably 10 men, also nominated in writing categories. Uh, the the ratio is obscenely one-sided and if you're only talking about winning, uh, Ruth Prower Javala has the only multiple wins for a woman Fran Walsh, Philippa Boyanz uh, are the only winning women with more than one nomination besides uh, Ruth Prower Javala, and then there are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 7, 8, 9, other women who have won that I've seen. Uh, and um, there may or may not be others. Besides the ones I've seen. But so that leaves us with 9, 10, 11, 12 total. Oscar winning women for writing. Out of the total number that I've seen. Which are 157. Uh, 157. So 1 in 13 people. That are that have won an Oscar for writing. Are women? That's it. <laughs> that's that's insanely low. That is obscenely low and unfortunately low. Uh, looking at you know my own uh, awards, um, I'm not sure you know who. you know Andrea Arnold for American Honey was fantastic last year. Uh, I wish that had been represented. Um, I think I don't know, I think I think that the you know that's the first one that comes to mind and I think that some of these nominations are just unworthy looking at uh, you know so cuz there's 10 nominations every year for writing and if I if I find let me look at looking at last year some of the movies that I think didn't deserve to win or even be nominated uh, for for screenplay not awards lion I wouldn't have nominated fences I wouldn't have nominated Uh, hidden figures I wouldn't have nominated uh, the lobster, I wouldn't have nominated, and I also count the lobster as twenty fifteen. So, but uh, you know, I I think all these movies are just taking spots that should belong to women or non-white people or you know things like that. And so let's move on to the last section, which are directors, and we've gotten progressively more and more we've gotten uh, we have gone progressively more and more disparity have, have had sorry can't even talk <laughs> the the spreadsheet has shown a greater disparity between writers and actors and it, there's an even greater one between directors and writers one person on my spreadsheet is in the top 63 for directors that is a woman and that's nicole holofcener and I love her movies. I think she creates great talky, um, mumblecore-esque movies. Uh, Enough Said, Walking and Talking, Please Give, Lovely and Amazing. I, I like all of these movies quite a bit. And uh, she. I think she does a great job of pulling some really good performances out of these actors. Second is Celine Sciama Skiyama, for one movie, Tomboy. Uh, then you've got another handful of film uh, directors who've only done one movie Amy Berg, Louisa Osmond, Catherine Fairfax Wright, Malika Zohali Waral, and uh, Janique Sistad Jacobson for films like Turn Me On, Damn It, Call Me Cuchu, Deep Water, and Call Me Cuchu Again. Uh, as well as Deliver Us from Evil, which is Amy Berg's movie. The only other woman. In the top one hundred with multiple films is Catherine Bigelow. I've seen six movies of hers. Leading and by leading the way are Zero Dark Thirty, The Hurt Locker, Strange Days, Near Dark, Detroit, and then Point Break. All films that I like, but generally not films that are necessarily great. Point Break is fine, and really. But I think Zero Dark Thirty is incredible. Catherine Bigelow is the only woman to have won a Best Director, Oscar. And has been nominated once, uh, and according to my spreadsheet, the only other nominated ac- women are Sofia Coppola for Lost in Translation and Jane Kempion for The Piano. Uh, I think there's more that I haven't seen yet, but those are the only three I've seen, and given the fact that I've seen how many movies I watch, it- it's absurd that that's the number. I just don't understand why the lack of respect. Why the why this disparity? I, I don't. I mean, I guess I do understand, but I don't understand anymore. And so, uh, looking at you know, you you think you know it took Catherine Bigelow almost. Uh, what 90 years to be the first woman ever to win uh, an Oscar for director for a woman and she's still the only one and it's just you know here there's this article uh, the film industry's problem of gender inequality is worse than you think uh, by Martha TS Leham, author of the con game a failure of trust who pretty much boils it down to a lot of more a lot of numbers which i like And so looking at all movie speaking roles in 2014, women uh, comprised only 28.7% of those roles, so not even a third. Uh, You can also say that only 16% of all directors, writers, producers, executive producers, editors, and cinematographers working on the top 100 domestic grossing films of 2015 were women. So one in six uh, were women. Less than one in six. Uh, um, and, you know, Hollywood and film, the film industry as a whole has become a very, is, and while there are ch- slight and slow adjustments and improvements happening, there are still, it's still a very male-dominated industry. And looking, and, you know, this this article addresses, you know, the college enrollment at top film schools is pretty even. You know, at NYU Tisch School of the Arts, 51% of the graduate students are female. And 46% of the graduate students at the USC School of Cinematic Arts are female. Like, that's a much better ratio than the, you know, sixteen percent or twenty-eight point seven percent that we saw previously. So, you know, only thirteen point nine percent of senior executive positions are female in uh, popular uh, at in leadership positions, which is also a terrible statistic to have. And then in a sample of the 2000 highest grossing domestic films for each year between 1994 and 2013, women occupied a majority of traditional positions, female dominated positions, such as jobs in costuming, 68%, and casting, 66%. In contrast, women represented about 70% of crew members in music, 9% in special effects, and only 5% in camera and electrical, according to a report titled Gender Within Film Crews um uh, just uh, it, as well as uh Patricia Arquette who won best supporting actress in at the 2015 Oscars you know her acceptance speech referenced pay inequality like how can there still be pay inequality uh when when uh, it's 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 just really deflating and disappointing. And uh, there's a Forbes salary statistics. Betsy Woodruff wrote that the men on Forbes list of top paid actors for 2013 made two and a half times as much money as the top paid actresses. That means that Hollywood's best compensated actress made just 40 cents on every dollar that the best compensated male made. That is disgusting and awful. And I think at the end of the day, like all these statistics are harrowing and hor- horrific to listen to and to read and to notice and you go to a movie and you know you have a group of 6 kids, 7 kids in it. Sorry to keep going back to it, but 7 kids in it, one of them's a woman. One of them's a girl. And I don't, I don't care that that's how the book was written. Like, fuck the book. Like, the book is not the movie. You know, you're using the book as inspiration to create this story. And if you can change whatever you want about the ending, if you want to change this, that, or the other thing about the movie to differentiate it from the book, to improve upon it from the book, to make it more cinematic, you can definitely put more women in your story. You can always... I think, too, that... The reason it feels like you look at the top actors and, you know, if you think of a list of the best actors ever, actors, gender-neutral actors, then, like, the vast majority of that list ends up being white men. And the reason for that isn't because white men are the best at acting out of any demographic. It's because they're the ones given the most roles. They're the ones given the most opportunities. They're the ones that are being represented in movies, they get the most movie posters, and they get the best, <sighs> they, they get the most publicity and marketing, and that's why it's so easy for someone, and you know, I love Chris Pratt, but it's so easy for him to sort of have his meteoric rise when he went from Parks and Rec to, to doing Guardians of the Galaxy and Jurassic World and all these great movies, quote-unquote great, like, money-making movies, like, Guardians is great, Jurassic World is fine, and whereas it takes a, you know, seeing someone like a Jennifer Lawrence, who was able to become a household name in the span of, like, two years, that's not frequent, it's not easy for a female to do that, it's very, very difficult, you know, and she, you know, to her credit, you know, there are people who don't like J-Law, people who do who, like, worship her whatever. She's a great actress. You know, her performance in Mother is amazing. And she's, and, you know, Silver Linings Playbook and American Hustle and Winter's Bone. She's been great her whole career. And uh, it's, you know, we need more movies and, and stories like The Hunger Games. That's where it came from, The Hunger Games, where she was finally kind of broke out in a great big public venue. Movies that made hundreds of millions of dollars in our country. Movies that, the, a movie where the lead character is a woman, and she's not dependent on a guy. She is her own character. She is strong in her own right. And that is not a role you get enough of. And that needs to change. It has to change. You know, like just, ha- like all these movies where the main character is a male coming out. So, let me see here, let me do a little, let me run a little test right now, because I think, I suspect that it will go the way I want it to. So, what I'm going to do is, maybe, if it loads ever... What I want to do is I'm going to go to Letterboxed, and I'm going to go to twenty, go to unreleased movies. I'm going to look at the most popular movies that haven't been released. Maybe it's not loading. Why won't it load? What is happening? Okay, it's loading. Okay, year, upcoming. And uh, what are these? Half of these movies are not upcoming. All right, 2010s. I'm just going to go to 2018. I know there's more 2017 movies, but don't hide unreleased films. So, looking at something like... Uh, da da da, da. Let's say, so the most expected movie on Letterboxd is Avengers Infinity War. Looking at the poster, you've got male, 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 and then female, female, female. So heavily male on the female on the list. Uh, five men are billed above the first woman, which is Scarlett Johansson, who isn't, doesn't seem to be, on the poster that Letterboxd is using, and... You know, as as touchy as comic book fanboys are, Iron Woman could be a thing. Doctor Strange could totally be a woman. Hulk, Hawkeye, Winter Soldier, Spider Woman, uh, Black Panther, Don Cheadle's character could all be women. None of those have to be men. The Incredibles, the first movie, was all about the guy, the father, Mister Incredible. It could have been all about Elastigirl. Black Panther could be a woman. Uh, Annihilation, to its credit, is about a female lead, which is Natalie Portman. Super excited for that. The Death and Life of John F. Donovan. Female-led. Ready Player One could totally be about a girl instead of a guy. Aqua Woman could be a thing. Isle of Dogs, which I'm really excited for. Could be about female dogs. They don't have to be male dogs. Uh, I guess Han Solo can't be a woman, but they could have done a movie about Leia. Uh, Deadpool. Kind of has to be Ryan Reynolds. Ant-Man and the Wasp. The Wasp and Ant-Man. Pacific Rim remake. Or, or sequel, not remake. Could star a female. <sighs> Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Chris Pratt doesn't have to be the lead in that. Fantastic Beast doesn't have to be. I guess Newt's Commander does have to be in the movies. Uh, you know, you got Tomb Raider. Ocean's 8, all women. A Wrinkle in Time, lead character is female. Uh, So, like all these movies here that are male-led, from what I can see, 90% of them don't have to be male-led. And the main reason that they are is because they're based on source material that is led by a male, that doesn't mean shit. They're based on previous movies that are led by males, but those previous movies didn't have to be. Uh, or you know, or they're I don't know. I, I just you know, I think that Hollywood is scared to like recast recognizable characters as women. and I think that's stupid. Like we don't need. You know like I'm excited for Oceans 8. But I don't need Oceans 8 to be. Like I don't I don't know why we needed to copy Oceans 11. To get a female centric heist movie. Like we could have totally made this movie without. Calling it Oceans. I, I don't know why it had to be called Oceans. You know. Cast: Sandra Bullock, Kate Blanchett, Helena Bonham-Carter, Anne Hathaway, Sarah Paulson, Rihanna, Mindy Kaling, Aquafina, I don't know who that is, Dakota Fanning. As Katie Holmes is in this movie, Olivia Munn, Anna Wintour. Uh, Like, I don't know why these characters could only come together for a movie called Ocean's 8. Just like, call it anything else but I don't know, I don't know like I, I it just it just seems so easy and that's the point like it is that easy it's literally recasting just cast more women in movies if if a character could be a woman make it a woman sometimes like uh why couldn't it just be a woman um or you know looking at movies like, the new Blade Runner. Why did Ryan Gosling have to be the main character? Could have been a woman. You know, it could easily have been a woman. The Florida Project. Call Me by Your Name. Three billboards outside of Evan, Missouri does star a woman. Uh, downsizing. More women could have been in that movie. Um, looking at other movies coming out this year that I haven't seen. You know, I'm excited for Molly's game. That looks really amazing. Uh, You know, Suburbicon. Could have been about a woman. Or... I don't know. Look, I I just... I mean, it's easy to, like, talk about this. I mean, I, I personally... I don't feel as though I'm ever in a... I'm really in a position where I can, like, change this kind of stuff. And... I would love to be in a position to change this kind of stuff because, you know, I look at, you know, as far as acting goes, you know, I love, you know, the top four of the top six people On my spreadsheet are women: Sherry Lynn, I mean, is a great voice actress; Best Flowers; Helena Bonham Carter; Kate Planchette. These are four women who have been in some of the greatest movies ever made, and have put in. And for some, some of them have put in like some of the best performances ever seen, and yet, I I don't think. And yet, you look at the names around them: Philip Seymour Hoffman, Brad Pitt, Ralph Fiennes, Jan, Jimmy Stewart, Jonah Hill, John C. Riley, John Ratzenberger, Andy Serkis, uh, Tom Hardy, Christian Bale, Casey Affleck, Bill Murray, Woody Harrelson, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Like those are, you know, there are people who recognize those names. And would put those names far above the four women I named in a preferential ballot. Uh, you know, I love Katherine Hepburn and Catherine Keener and Allison Janney and Tilda Swinton, and I have strived and I have taken great steps toward trying to put women higher up on my spreadsheet. I have tried to beat the system and tried to improve their standing and ranks as best as possible, and yet. One of the biggest problems I've found, it isn't that women pick bad roles, it's that those are the only roles given to them, you know, I look at someone, like, looking at the top, looking at a Cate Blanchett, right, Cate Blanchett can be in probably any movie she wants to be in, I feel like, yet she's in movies like Robin Hood, terrible, The Gift, terrible, The Good German, awful. Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. The Monuments Men. Bad movies. Real bad movies. Or someone like Kellen of Carter's in The Lone Ranger. Great Expectations. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Alice Through the Looking Glass. Dark Shadows. Terminator Salvation. Maurice. These are bad movies. Uh, I I just I I don't know how like Catherine Keener's in 8mm Peace, Love and Misunderstanding. Accidental Love. What Just Happened. Percy Jackson and the Olympians. Bad Grandpa. Why? Like, it's not like she doesn't have a pedigree of being in amazing movies. It's the fact that there aren't enough roles for women. There's like half a dozen, a dozen maybe every year. And only so many people can have them. Which is absurd and ridiculous and blows my mind. Because it's so frustrating you know, you look at Allison Janney, who's in Tammy, Struck by Lightning, Minions, Touchy Feely, Celebrity, Six Days, Seven Nights, The Girl on the Train, uh, Tilda Swinton's in The Zero Theorem, Vanilla Sky, The Beach, War Machine, uh, Emma Thompson is in Men, Women, and Children, Beauty, Beautiful Creatures, Burnt, Junior, mm. Junior, The Love Punch, <sighs> Death Becomes Her, Rendition, The Giver, Julie and Julia, Art, Ant, The Ant Bully, Lemony Snicket's series of unfortunate events, The French Lieutenant's Woman, The Iron Lady, It's Complicated. These are Meryl Streep movies. It's it's just exhausting, and it's highly frustrating that I can't like I can't even force someone to the top of the spreadsheet because they don't have enough opportunities. And enough chances, even, to be afforded. You know, I, the only way to do it is to go back to when there weren't enough women acting. That smaller groups of smaller number of women, like a Betty Davis, like a Catherine Hepburn, had the opportunity, and they could take more of those great roles. Or back when movies were made in such a way where a great actress could really just influence a movie so much that it became more than what it was which is what katherine hepburn did which is what betty davis did uh, and it's so the last thing i wanted to touch on is the Bechtel test uh, i talk about it when i do statistics for movies and ultimately what it is it's a three-step test to determine how feminist your woman your, fem- your movie is it's not a great test. Uh, it is highly problematic in its, of itself, but it is a strikingly revealing test all the same. So, uh, if a movie fails all the steps, it gets a zero on my on my spreadsheet. Currently, of the movies that have been uh, rated on the Bechtel test. of them, almost a fourth, have a zero. And what that means is there are not two female characters that are named and that talk. Almost a fourth of all movies that I've seen that have a Bechtel rating don't even have two talking female characters with names. Mm -hmm. If it has a one, that means that it does have two women in the movie that talk and have names. 26.5%. So about 50% of all the movies. In my spreadsheet. Have. No more than two women. Ca- like have two have at least two women characters. That talk to each other. But they never talk to each other. And they only talk about. Well they just talk to men. They just talk to men. So about half of the movies. Don't have women that talk to each other. That I've seen. Absurd. Uh, if you get a 2. 2. That means that your two women characters, minimum, with names, talk to each other, but they don't talk about. They only talk about other male characters in the movie. Seven and a half percent, roughly. Uh, so, kind of a smaller percentage there, but uh, ultimately, that's it. Oh, wait a second. These percentages are out of every movie I've seen, not out of every movie that I've given a Bechtel rating to, because the total percentages are going to add up to like 87. So, so like this is the bare minimum percentage that these numbers could be. So, in like likelihood, the zeros and ones actually a higher percentage than what they're saying. Uh, the twos is a very small percentage because I find that it's very It's very difficult to find that perfect harmony between your two women characters talking about a man and your two women characters not talking about anything to each other. So we're still at 57% of all movies don't have women that talk talk to each other about things that aren't men. And so the three is for at least two women characters with names and speaking parts that talk to each other about something other than a man. 30%. Less than a third of all movies I've seen at the moment have those, meet those criteria. And yes, you have plenty of movies that meet these criteria that are not feminist movies. And there are plenty of movies that don't meet these criteria that are feminist movies. And I, I recognize that. I don't pertain to say that these statistics are the bare minimum and, you know, end all of representation for women in movies. However, the fact that the the like I bet if you did the inverse of this and you did this with about men talking about non-female characters, overwhelmingly 80, 90% of all movies hit those criteria easily. It wouldn't even be close. And that is the problem. It's not the, you know, it's not that people You know, it's that you create these small characters Throughout these movies They're men, they create small male characters You know, shop owner Male, cast a guy Uh, The the car driver Cast a guy You need a bellhop, cast a guy You need uh, the, the elevator operator Cast a guy You need a waiter Or a chef, cast a guy Every time, every fucking time And like why why do you have to what does that benefit other than this male centric industry and i think that's your answer is a cyclical snake eating its own tail sort of mentality that you know you help out men and the more males in the industry the more profitable and beneficial that men become, I guess. I, I don't know. I, I just it's backwards thinking and it's not a good thing. It doesn't benefit the industry. It doesn't benefit the viewers. Uh, it damages, you know, kids and their ideas of what equality in between genders should be. Uh, so, and it's it's just it sucks, man. It just it sucks. So this year specifically, um forty and a half percent of all the movies I've seen that were released in twenty seventeen officially are threes on the Bechtel test. And fifty percent, half percent, have a one or a less. So it's it's still like you would think. Maybe it's changed. You know, maybe there's an improvement. And I don't notice. I don't see that. The highest percentage of threes on my list come from twenty sixteen, which is great. That's great, but. You know, only two years have more than 40% of threes. And that's this year and last year. 2012 is next with 39.5. 2005 had 38.5. But then 1935 has 38.5%. Then you got 2015, 2013, 1993, 1938. All have over 36%. And the here's, here's the thing, though. You get down to, like... Under 30%. 2011. Under 30%. 2001. Under 30%. 2000. 2008. 2006. 2002. Had a 21%. 1998. 17%. I I, I just. You know. You can't. Like the statistics. Don't show. That this is a statistic. That like the numbers are getting bigger. The further on you go. And that's a a shame. You know. 2001. Which admittedly. Only has about 70% of its films. With a Bechtel test. Less than 10% of them. Have a a zero. It's the only year. That has that. Every other year has at least 10% zeros including 1999, 10.11, 2007, 11.25, etc, etc, etc. And uh I feel like every movie should have a one. At least, wouldn't shouldn't it? Like I I don't like if we if we if we change ones to not necessarily needing named characters, every movie should have a one. You know, if you cast or like the vast majority of movies should at least have a one. It should be less than five percent of movies with zeros. Because the only movies should have zeros are movies that literally cannot possibly have multiple female characters with speaking parts. Literally cannot. Movies like Moon should not. Like uh, even Moon though could have had one female character. Like I love Kevin Spacey as the robot. Woman could have voiced the robot. If you're gonna have only Sam Rockwell's in that movie. Or, like, I think there's videos of his family, though. So, Moon probably doesn't even have a one. Or doesn't even have a zero, I think. Let me see. Moon. Yeah, Moon has a one. Like, a movie that literally is about two... One character. One. So, I... I don't know, man. I just... uh, I just wish... I want more... From this industry that I love, like I don't love the industry, but I love the things it puts out. I love movies, and I love movies regardless of who's. Like I don't go to movies because men are in the leading roles. You know, I love Mad Max Fury Road because, I mean, Tom Hardy is fine in that movie. Charlize Theron is incredible, and like all the other women in that movie are amazing, and Tom Hardy, an afterthought. Honestly. An afterthought. Uh, Like, Short Turn 12 and The Philadelphia Story. A Separation, Inside Out, Boyhood. These are all hard threes on the Bechdel test with great female characters in them. Uh, Mulan. World of Tomorrow. Toy Story 3. Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, Boys Don't Cry. The Land Before Time. Arrival, In the Loop, The Handmaiden, The Incredibles, Before Midnight, How to Train Your Dragon, Evil Dead 2, uh, Aliens. These are movies that, pass the Bechtel test, have great female characters, and I think are incredible movies. These are some of the best movies, in my opinion, ever made. And I don't think studios care. They're more concerned with how many more movies can they put Tom Cruise in before he dies of old age. And he can't do his own stunts anymore. You know, we have... Like, look, Jackie Chan's great. And he's in this new movie called The Foreigner. You know, if you want to put a movie in together where you have some sort of old person fighting against the system. Like, why couldn't it be a woman? Like, where's the female taken? Like, female Liam Neeson, Tom Cruise, Jackie Chan, old person action movie. Is there one? Maybe there is. If there is, let me know. I'll, I'll find it and watch it. But it doesn't seem like there is. It seems like, for the most part, we care about men. Old men. Old white men. Just dumb and stupid. Um, I just... Ugh. I'm so frustrated. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, all that being said... Feminism in movies, in this bi- cinema industry, in the movie-making industry, in Hollywood, it's a long way from fixing itself. But, like I said, it's very easy to fix it when you just take the time to look at the problem and say, oh, just cast more women? Easy. It's that easy. Like, for, for acting, cast more women. Writing. Look at like women are writing just as much as men are. Like there's just that just as many female authors out there as there are male authors like and they're just as accomplished and just as well respected. And directing, you know, there are plenty of female directors out there right now that are great, like Angie Arnold, like Ava DuVernay, like Catherine Bigelow. If they got more of a spotlight, that would lead to women actually thinking that the studio and the system cared about them. That they would have a chance to make movies and be respected for what they are doing. And it just takes, you know, trying and caring and wanting the equality there. And it's, I think, a long ways away from being fixed, is how I feel. It's really depressing. It's very depressing. So, uh, that's gonna be this episode. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if I got a little preachy, I apologize. And uh, if there's some key important facts that you think I missed, please let me know. I, I want to have a better grasp on this issue. And I don't. I I fully admit that I am not the person that I'm no expert in this area whatsoever. So, you know, if you have more information to give me please send it my way i'd be happy to read listen watch it uh, so again thank you uh, if you want to check out more about the podcast more about the show more about any of the things about the show head over to circleoffilm.com if you want to send me any comments concerns questions or answers send those things to circleoffilm@gmail.com. at gmail.com and if you would like to support the show in any way shape or form Head over to patreon.com slash film and check out the possible goals, rewards, things like that over there. And as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same good night. I know she'll never leave me, even as she fails.